Hello everyone, my name is Tracy and welcome to Standard Imaging's Out of the Gray video podcast series. I am incredibly excited to get this arm of our project started to help spread these messages and these stories even further. For our listeners joining today from an audio podcast platform, please do check out Standard Imaging's YouTube page where you can enjoy all of the visual content that's going to go along with these interviews. Without any further delay, let's get into this latest conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Out of the Gray, the podcast where we discuss all things radiation oncology and medical physics. Today, I'm excited to have with me Neil Duggar from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Sure. As you said, I'm Neil. Uh, I am I am at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I have been here for about 10 years. I was the first medical physics resident at this site, um, and I, <clears throat> I was glad for that to work out because I was... Um, born in Mississippi, so I'm a Mississippi uh, native, and uh, so I've got a lot of loyalty here. I did my uh, medical physics studies at Georgia Tech um, and graduated my master's from there and ended up coming back here for residency and never left, you know, but uh, uh, it's been it's been a good place and, uh, you know, we're, I'm happy to be a part of making uh, medical care better for the people of Mississippi, so. Neil, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join me here on the show and and share your experiences with myself and our listeners. I know uh, they they really appreciate it as much as I do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'll jump right in with the first question. Um, I, I am curious. What did your introduction to medical physics look like? How did you end up wandering into this field? Yeah, it was kind of funny. It wasn't on my radar. Uh, In undergrad, um, I guess it was my junior year. I, you know, I I was majoring in physics, just basic physics. Um, And I did this research experience for undergraduates and ended up in at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. And some other students that were there introduced me to medical physics. And when I looked into what it was, I, it just resonated with me. I was like, wow, this, this sounds awesome. You know, I really want to get into this. And so I started investigating and looking for opportunities and, and ended up finding it at Georgia Tech and, you know, basically immediately applied as soon as I, you know, that fall semester afterwards and uh, got in and, you know, never, never looked back, you know, that's a lot. So it just, uh, just a happen, happenstance introduction at a summer program. And then, you know, I sort of fell in love with it. Um, a great story. And thank you for sharing a little tidbit with us. I, I find it fascinating um, to collect stories of how people found the field because and I know say I see this a lot on the show, but it, it seems to me like it finds us. We don't necessarily find it. And um it, it truly is interesting. And that and I do have a lot of students, listeners as well, who like to come check out the podcast and are searching for their own way forward. And I feel like these stories can help guide. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. Now, Neil, ahead of time, we'd had a, a bit of a discussion about things that you're working on there currently um, in your facility and some very exciting things coming down the pike. Um, what's new for you and your team there at the University of Mississippi? Yeah, one of the big things that we're real excited about and just um, we've just seen a very big impact on the way we uh, 
treat certain patients is we, in the last two years, we have started uh, utilizing MRI and interstitial brachytherapy for cervical cancer patients. Um, and it, it's really been a journey. Um, you know, we started, it really started, you know, the Embrace uh, study came out in like around 2000. They, you know, it sort of got on the map, on the radar. And we have a physician residency here. And we regularly sort of, um, they have to talk about different topics. And a couple of years ago, one of them presented on uh, brachytherapy and, and devoted part of their talk to the value of using MRI in brachytherapy. We were not doing it yet at the time. We were totally uh, CT-based and um, we got interested in it. Uh, another, another resident and one of our physicians sort of um, just looking at the data and looking at the information out there, just how big of an impact it has had in other places that have looked at their data and looked at their even their clinical outcomes it was like okay we got to figure out a way to do this now we weren't you know we're we are mississippi's only academic medical center but we are not uh you know big and flashy or necess necessarily like we don't have unlimited resources we don't have our own mri suite in radiation oncology so it was like this in doing this for our patients is is going to be there's going to be some logistical hurdles that we need to overcome. Mm -hmm. And so it was, a, it's a bit of a, it was a long process, but we had uh, several people that basically said, you know what, this is going to take more time. This is going to take more effort, but we believe in, we believe in it and we believe it's worth it. Uh, and the data is very compelling, but once you actually see it in practice and you see it on your patients and and if you're not using MRI, you can't you can't really tell how extensive the disease can be when it moves outside of the cervix, and so you don't even realize what you could be missing if you're just planning based on CT. And it's not every patient, but it's enough that you could be doing essentially not enough for that patient, and not even know that you're not doing enough for that patient. And so, and we have seen it. I mean, I have I have examples that we can talk about, but um, you know, where it's just you realize, you know, wow, if I would have done this the old way we used to do it, planning to point A, we would have missed it. <laughs> and you know, I, I mean, how could we expect to control their disease if we were missing part of it? So uh, it's it's very impactful when you see it in front of you. You know, it's more than just a number. It's more than just so and so saying. That three-year local control went from, you know, fifty percent to eighty percent or whatever they they tout. You know, like when you see it on a real patient, it's like, wow, this is this is really important. You know, I'm so glad we are doing this, and we're looking at it. It's critical. Mm -hmm. It's critical is to to look at something and and be able to recognize had we gone the traditional route with this particular individual an opportunity to control disease would have would have been missed. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess for for me, what what some of the impact, you know, and I guess I'll um Astro came out with their newest um cervical cancer guidelines in 2020. They published a new set. And one of the things that that 
flagged me, you know, and this is because of our, you know, our efforts to move to MRI directed brachytherapy. But when they, you know, they always, all the guidelines, they always answer key questions, right? And I'll, you know, I guess I can share my screen for a second, but they always answer um, key questions and give their recommendations. And there's something very striking when they offer their recommendations regarding the optimal imaging technique or optimal technique for brachytherapy. It, it, it's almost like they they dodged the question because they uh, they give a recommendation for intraprocedure imaging, okay, and then they say the second recommendation is you should do MRI or CT based volume planning, but the, and then they say when you can't do it, you should at least do two D point based planning. So like it's almost like they they neglected to actually make a real like real recommendation, you know, they said, any of this is okay, but in our personal experience, at our institution, we've seen that that's that 2D point-based planning, for some patients, that is not going to do it. That's not going to cut it. And you won't even realize it while you're doing it. You'll think it's fine. You're getting your your doses. Um, And in fact, I can actually show you another you know, just sh- to show you what I'm talking about, um, we actually can, we've, we've looked at some of our patients, you know, we looked at about 18 patients. This is a paper we published. Um, and we looked at about 18 patients and, uh, and you know, just kind of looking at how things were going. But we actually picked one of them that we kind of thought it really illustrated the importance of what we're, what you're, of, of doing it this way, of doing MRI, not, not only doing MRI, but being ready to do interstitial brachy when you can. And um, so here's a patient that showed up to us and we initially planned them with a traditional tandem and ovoid insert and had trouble, um, let's see, we found that you're supposed to try to get 85 two gray equivalent or 80, 80 to 90, it depends on who you ask, but 80, 85 gray, two gray equivalent um, to the D90 of your high risk tumor volume. Um, but alternatively, you know, like Astro would say, you can get 85 gray to point A, which is a well-known uh, prescription point that people have used for decades. But in this specific patient, here, we're meeting, we're getting over 85 gray, 2.A, which is the point-based planning. But we are only like with the, the traditional technique with no needles, and we've used MRI to contour the, the, the residual tumor that we need to make sure and cover. We're only getting 75 gray. So we're not getting enough dose to the tumor that's left behind. And um, so this, this was a big deal. Uh, to us, you know, we've seen this is just one patient, but we've seen this on patient after patient. So if you look, if you just say, well, let's amp up the dose so that we get the 85 grade to D90 HRCDV. But then you can tell, like, so they there are con- rectum constraints which are, rec- are are recognized by Astro and Gek Astro and all the brachy people out there, all the cervical cancer experts. Um, they, you know, you shouldn't go more than 75 grade to grade equivalent to your rectum. 
Well, that would have pushed us to 82. So using using the traditional brachytherapy technique, if we had not been doing MRI-based planning, we would have gotten our point A dose and thought we were fine. We do we did MRI-based planning, we realized, okay, we're not getting the coverage we needed. So then we 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 moved to a situation where now we we add three needles to it's a it's a the elective venesia applicator so we can add interstitial needles and give us some more options for where we can place uh, source dwell positions and you can see that the final uh, outcome was that we were able to get 86 gray to the D90 of the HRCTV and we met all of our normal tissue constraints. And so we were, I mean, it's the same idea as, as moving from 3D uh, external beam to IMRT. You know, it gives you some ability to shape your dose. And so you can avoid your normal tissue and add dose to where, you know, you're missing your coverage. And so we just we just have seen that it's it's a big impact, you know, and it's and it's not every patient, it's patient specific. Sometimes we go through all the rigmarole of doing MRI and um turns out their disease is small and localized to the cervix. Now, you could also, one thing we have seen is that sometimes you don't even have to give full dose to point A. You know, sometimes you can treat all of their disease without treating point A to 85 gray. You can just treat the, the HRCTV and you've treated all their disease um, enough. And so, you know, there, there's opportunities, I guess, to de-escalate your dose as well. But it just time and again in in real, you know, in real clinical practice here, we've seen that it makes a big difference. And if you're not doing MRI on your cervical cancer patients before brachytherapy, um, you're missing, you're potentially not realizing what's going on there. And if you're not, if you don't have the ability or you're not trying to get the ability to do interstitial, then you may also miss. And, and I'm not saying that people that can't do interstitial or MRI even necessarily can't do brachy, but, but I am saying that people should be careful, you know, like, mm -hmm. like it, are there ways that, you know, maybe you can't afford to buy a fancy applicator or you can't, you know, um, you don't have good access to an, an MRI on a regular basis. Um, maybe there's some ways you can implement. Maybe you could refer them for at least a post-external beam or, you know, sort of towards the end of their external beam MRI to get a sense of how advanced their disease is. And then you can decide, oh, we are going to be able to handle this patient because their disease is within the cervix, not parametrial. Or you can say, you know what, we really should refer this to somebody who can treat this level of, you know, this extensive disease. Um, you know, and, and that way you can make sure that the outcome is, is best for the patient. Because we've seen, based on the way we see it, it's somewhere around 20%, uh, you know, we've ended up deciding we needed to add some needles to. Um, so it's not every patient. And and, and truly point A, and some, sometimes point A and HRCTV do line up as far as the doses that you give to both. But there are many cases where they don't. And so if you're not even looking at it, then your patients are potentially going to be the ones to suffer from that. Um, and so it's just good to have some relationships, be aware of people and and try to try to have a plan. You know, how are you going to make sure that this patient's getting the care they need? And you know, maybe you're not, 
Maybe you're not the person to do, you're not the clinic to do it, but maybe you are, you know, and it just, uh, not everyone necessarily has to figure out the logistics of doing MRI directed interstitial brachy, but you do need to, I, I do think it, it's, it's worth it to figure out how you can make sure your parents, your patients have that opportunity and your parents do if they need it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's just it's just been very impactful. It's been I've really appreciated the learning experience it's been for us, and just to see you know what a difference it makes. And you know I've, I've really appreciated my team at UMC just you know because it is a lot of extra work. It's extra money. It's extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we you know we've recognized you know maybe a little bit late. You know I mean a lot of the a lot of our European colleagues have been doing this since the early two thousands, but but um, you know, we recognize that there was a need here, and that our patients could benefit from us improving in this way. And you know, it took it took us figuring out some hurdles. You know, our radiology department has been amazing in the fact that they are willing to share their MRI time because we don't have our own MRI in radiation oncology. So radiology is key in helping us not only acquire our MRI scans, but also reading our MRI scans so that we can make sure we understand exactly where the disease exists for that patient. And so it's been it's been a great learning experience, but I also am very proud of the progress we've made in the quality of our treatment for um, these cervical cancer patients. So. Absolutely, it's an admirable effort um, without a doubt. But I, I am curious, um... What is the is there any impact for the patient necessarily to travel down the route of adding an MRI to the planning regimen? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean, yes, yes there is. I mean, uh different clinics do things different ways, but it is absolutely going to add time to the process because an MRI just in by nature takes longer to acquire than a CT and definitely than X-rays. Um, and, and, you know, and then you got to spend the time to read it and make, you know, and, and there's extra image fusions in the process and, and taking the time to delineate those volumes. Um, it is, it is, it is a more time consuming process than, um, than traditionally it has been in the past, you know, as far, and then also, you know, if you have to add needles, you know, I mean, those those needles are going into the soft tissue of the patient. So, you know, there are going to be some some effects, side effects potentially from that, and think uh, that um, clinicians will have to be ready for. Historically, even when we were just doing CT based planning, we historically did um, we anesthetized our patients uh, for the insertion uh, portion. It wasn't just a local anesthetic; it was a it was a full. Uh, we, like we bring a nurse anesthetist on site and and she, you know, and they're fully asleep, you know, whenever they're getting the device implanted. So for them, you know, they probably don't rec- recognize necessarily the the difference in the implant process. Because even if we add needles, you know, they, they might feel extra pain later. Um, but during the process, you know, they were asleep anyway. Um, uh, so. Yeah seems like a kinder way to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we definitely are big fans of the anesthesis. I mean, that's because uh, even when you're doing it the traditional with no needles, it's still a, a very uncomfortable situation. So, yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and any level of comfort to offer a patient is appreciated by them and the group working yeah. without a doubt. But it, and, and and we've gotten better at it, you know, but I mean, we typically try to do one patient a day because of the extra time. Now we have done multiple patients in a day, but but in general, we try to focus on one patient per day. Now that, and that's another challenge, you know, but that's also like, that's just us. That's, you know, we have the freedom to do that because of our patient volume, you know, busier clinics might have, you know, there's always opportunities to streamline and, and improve and things like that. And, you know, we're always on the lookout for that too. And we have, um, you know, like for example, when we have identified a patient who doesn't necessarily benefit from MRI, um, you know, their disease is localized to the cervix, then we have done CT instead for them in order to be able to have multiple patients in the same day um, without having to have too much logistical juggling going on. Yeah, it just makes depends, you know, but but it gives you the at least you have the opportunity to make that informed decision rather than just assuming everyone is the same and you know because not every you know even if every patient starts off at a certain stage, um, but you you really don't know where their disease is going to be after external beam is over. You know, so you have to at least take time to assess what's going on there um, to really decide what's the optimal brachytherapy uh, technique to use. We will now take a quick break from our discussion to chat about our sponsor, Standard Imaging. With 31 years of dedication to good physics, we are here to help meet medical physics QA requirements accurately, safely, and efficiently. Our teams are looking forward to helping you select the best tools for the job and are only a click away at www.standardimaging.com. You'll find information about our comprehensive total QA solutions, find access to high quality customer care, support, and your regional account manager. We look forward to working with you and developing your program. Please feel free to reach out anytime. Lots of decisions going into it, but um, clearly uh, an effort in due diligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And rates of success, it seems, if you're controlling disease, you'd have to see an improvement there. Yeah, I think there's a great, and in fact, I guess I'll, I'll share that really quick, you know, because yeah. a great place to go if you really want to see the impact, you know, as far as the literature goes, um, would be um, the Embrace 2 study that was published back in 2018. Um, and I'll just show it up here real quick so you can look at it. But they, they go through um, not only you know, what we've learned from the, the protocols that they did um, overseas, but also where where they're trying to head in the future and what are the things they're worried about now. But if you talk to any of them, I don't think you'll get any sort of confusion or, I mean, they, they know what they'll recommend. And, you know, they talk about, I mean, just really quickly, I mean, you're talking about anything stage 2B and below 90 plus percent three-year local and pelvic control, which, you know, prior to image-guided brachy, I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, and then and then I've got another study from the Netherlands where they looked at, um, they compared traditional technique to once they started using 
uh, MRI-directed brachytherapy, and their overall survival at three years went from 51% to 86%. I mean, that is astonishing, right? I mean, and so, I mean, that's what convinced us. And that's why we realized this has to happen, you know, and we ran into plenty of hurdles and, and you know, probably wanted to give up a few times, but uh, it has been such a, a rewarding experience. And we, we feel so good about the care we're able to offer the patients, so. As you should, admirable to say the least. And I'm curious, um, of the hurdles that you did approach, um, what might have been the top three difficult spots to traverse to implement a practice like this? And then to follow that, how were those uh, challenges met? Sure. Um, So probably the first hurdle is how are you going to get your MRIs and when are you going to get your MRIs? And that's where we actually had a a dinner meeting with radiology and and, um, a couple of their, sorry, their manager and, and they're, you know, one of the radiologists there. And, you know, we just sort of hashed out, you know, how, how, where we'd like to be. And, and they, you know, they were very gracious and, and helped us and basically felt like they could be, you know, be with us on that. And so they, uh, because as I, I'm not sure, but my understanding is I don't think they get, they get extra money necessarily from these scans. They might, I'm not sure exactly how that works out to be honest, but, but they do, you know, they are, sort of donating their MRI that they could be using for diagnostic scans during those times, they're giving us a slot on a regular basis. And so that's that's a lot of graciousness and, and generousness on their part, you know, but um, that was that was huge, you know, figuring out how we could theoretically uh, do MRIs uh, was good. Now we started off um, trying to do like, we were like, well, let's try to do CT on the day of implant and then just use MRI from before, and you can do that, um, but there's a lot of when you when you put the applicator in, it changes a lot um, how the tumor is is sitting and laying, especially related to the applicator. And so we kind of came to consensus early on that we were like, well, we'd like to get at least one MRI with the applicator in place, and know you know how that geometry is 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 sitting for that patient. And then, um, you know, so that that was kind of, you know, uh, just figuring out the MRIs was probably the biggest thing. And, you know, currently we've gotten to a place where we pretty much have a good system going where we get MRIs for, we plan initially to get MRIs for every treatment fraction. And uh, that has pretty much been a reality. And that's been uh, because of the, you know, coordination uh, between our department and the radiology department. Um, but we don't necessarily get new radiology reads every fraction. A lot of times we'll just see, you know, we'll adapt what we learn the first fraction to the new fraction. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's changed, not usually a whole lot, you know, but, uh, um, but then we can, you know, we have confidence that we're, what we're treating today is what is currently the HR. Um, but, but then I guess the next big hurdle is, the whole planning process, you know, just the fact that you got to delineate all these extra tissues and and then you have to figure out, you know, point-based planning was relatively easy. You know, you can just normalize and and do a, you know, a, a quick optimization. But then once you had to figure out um, how to optimize a brachytherapy plan, 
to cover a volume and then how to make sure that that was a good plan. You know, they took some time and effort to really get a sense of, you know, what are the metrics to evaluate a plan? What are the, how do you, um, what are the the goals and, and objectives you put into your optimization to try to get a good plan? And, 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 and it took, you know, like, and there were issues because sometimes you're mixing and matching, you know, like for example, our bracky planning is terrible at contouring. And so we were using the MIMS, but then that involves like moving structures around and sometimes systems don't like each other. And so then that would cause issues and delays. And so that was a, that was a challenge. And then the last, the, the big, the other big hurdle for us that, that I can recall is when we would get a patient that wasn't, it wasn't achievable to get the plan that we wanted. Um, with without using needles, then how do we figure out what to you know what needles do we need to add where and all that kind of stuff, and so we um, we have we have you know sort of had to over because initially it was like well now we don't know what to do because we don't know how to cover it now and that was like we we didn't really get into this thinking we're going to do interstitial brachy like we got into it thinking we were going to do MRI directed brachy. And then that opened our eyes to the fact that some patients, that's not enough. You you got to add some more to that applicator in order to get what you need or get what the patient needs. And um, so we, you know, we, uh, I guess, you know, all of that is kind of related, you know, as far as the the two challenges. So dealing with the whole the whole planning process becoming much more complicated, and then dealing with, you know, what do you do when you need to add needles? I mean, it was really just. Uh, a lot of back and forth, a lot of a lot of you know evaluating. Okay, what went well today? What didn't go well? How do we do better next time? And we were able to. Now we got it to where we can we can streamline things. We've got uh, structure templates, so everybody knows exactly what to contour and what you know what should be included in that contour. Um, they 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 know how to coordinate with radiology, so they get their read in an efficient manner, and they're ready to come back and contour that high risk. Uh, target volume, and um, and then while we've gotten aware because they're using a different system, we can set up the treatment plan. You know, mapping the catheters and mapping the the applicator in the planning system, and and just have it all ready to go so that when they finish their contours, we pull it in and we're starting from essentially a basic plan, and we can modify it and see see what we need to do to get get the plan that we want. Um, and then, you know, just, of course, learning the tools. It took some training from the vendor. We called the, the vendor and, you know, we're like, hey, we're dealing with this now. We need your help on how to get, how to do a good job here. And and also, you know, looking at what other people are doing, we called. You know, that's the other thing is so nice. Um, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, if you're trying to figure something out, a lot of times, I mean, we were not inventing the wheel here. Like the people had done this before us. And so we had... You know, some of our physicians had certain people on speed dial that they could call and be like, hey, you know, we're seeing this. How do we get past this? And and, you know, that's physics. That's uh, radiation oncologists. You know, all of them were were guides to us at different times. And then as far as. um, As far as the needles cases, you know, essentially what we ended up doing, we because package time is important for these patients, too. So you don't want to waste an insert if you don't have to. So essentially the consensus we ended up coming to is for the first fraction, 
we get whatever we can get in there with a, a traditional implant without needles. And then we, but we will always use the Venezia that's just unloaded with needles so that we can actually, they have a, a applicator model library in, in the system we use. So we can map that and it actually shows us where the needle positions are. And we'll sort of simulate the needles uh, going through the different, the target. And we can tell, okay, this is where we need more dose. And we can add that in uh, virtually. So, and, and what we were excited to figure out is that, um, you know, really there's not, you can get a pretty similar insertion for the same patient from week to week, most of the time. And so our dry runs ended up being pretty accurate. You know, we knew how far to put that needle in and we knew where to put the needle in. And it, uh, it, it really kind of helped us um, have a plan for the next three fractions so that we were able to make up the dose we missed on the first fraction. And also um, we were able to um, be ready to, to optimize the shape, you know, to exactly what we were hoping. And so it was, it was a good situation. Although uh, one thing, another thing too, is, you know, bowel prep is key, you know, so uh, you really learn, you know, like, especially when you're putting needles in, you know, you want you want stuff out of the way as much as possible. And so, you know, we've even gone so far as to we sort of proactively implant or uh, put in rectal tubes to try to reduce gas to keep things out of the way, you know. And so little things like that, you learn, um, you know, that you can deal with, you know, prevent issues later on. Because, you know, when you're, if, if a patient's normal tissues are sitting right on top of your your volume, you know, you're going to have a lot of trouble, even with bracky getting your dose in there um, and it falling off fast enough. So anyway, that was kind of long-winded, but. <laughs> no, it's great. So insightful. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, there's, there are definitely some steps and some things to contemplate and get around and, and work through, but once implemented, uh, it, it sounds truly like a well-oiled machine. There's details and uh, protocols and, and templates and uh, you guys have quite a bit going on, but it, it seems to be highly effective and an amazing service to offer your patients. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we have our good days and our bad days, but we are always learning and we're always trying to get better. So, um, and And the other thing that we've learned is you can think you have it all figured out and you got a good system, but then there's going to come another patient who, you know, it, it, you're going to have to, it's, it's going to be a whole different ball game and you got to figure it out. So, uh, but that, you know, but that's, we know that now because we're using MRI and we, and we can, you know, we, before we weren't really as aware of it, you know, so. Yeah. Growth and education and learning happening all the time. I, uh, I look forward to seeing seeing more folks uh, have questions about how to how to add MRI to their to their protocols and and uh, implement these new procedures as well. Right. And there's a lot of good resources out there, especially uh, there's several good papers about, you know, like some of the practical aspects, even down to what MRI sequences you need to be getting on your patients and things like that. There's a lot of good um, guidance out there because but whatever reason, and I, I mean, I guess I think it's because of how hard it is to do this and also limited resources for most clinics, but volume directed, MRI directed brachy hasn't really taken off like perhaps IMRT did. 
And, you know, um, it, it like, in a, and to me, I kind of think of it in, as a similar vein, you know, because it, it offers a lot of opportunity that wasn't there before. Um, but I think it just logistically, it can be challenging, but there, but people have been doing it and there are good resources into how to overcome a lot of hurdles that typically people, you know, if you first start thinking about it and be like, oh, well, you know, we don't have access to an MRI or, oh, well, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, it's not really necessary or, you know, it's going to take too long, but people have published exactly the kind of things that I, you know, you asked me what challenges we had to overcome and how, you know, like people have published similar conversations, you know, trying to say, you know, this is how they overcame this stuff and, and what they do now and, and things like that. So. Yeah. I know the stumbling blocks of implementing any new procedure, policy, anything like that into a facility, uh, the major stumbling blocks are felt across the board. And if you can share, you know, how you got around one roadblock uh, or two, you know, it's always helpful for other facilities. You know, um, I found that when working as a clinical therapist myself, you you find, come up against a wall and somebody has already at least bored a hole through it. There's, there's some type of knowledge to be, to be gained. And um, the resources you're referencing are, publications, white papers, journals? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So that, you know, I referenced the Astro Cervical Cancer Guidelines. You can, Mm -hmm. those are on the Astro website. Um, And then the Embrace 2 study is, uh, was published back in 2018 in Clinical and Translational Radiation Oncology. That can be found on PubMed, I'm sure. Um, And then we published a paper um, on Curious, back in uh, last year, I guess it was. Um, and that was just sort of our looking back, you know, it's sort of it's pretty, uh, just we, it was, we had only done 18 patients at that point, you know, but, um, you know, just learn, you know, things we'd already learned and just how really, I think, I think everybody was just on the same page of just, just how meaningful it was for certain patients. I mean, you know, for us about 20%, you know, like, if we were still doing it the old way with CT and point A planning, we would not, they would not have gotten what they needed from us. So, you know, and that meant a lot to us, you know, 20%, I mean, one out of every five patients, right? So it's just no good. So. That's exactly where my mind, my mind went to you. You see a list of five patients and one is a miss. That's that's an impactful change to make. And it makes sense when you look at the outcome changes, you know, I mean, when you go from, uh, you know, 50% to uh, 80 something percent, uh, you know, depending, and that's regardless of stage, you know, and then, and then, uh, you know, just seeing the control rates, like it makes sense that it's somewhere around 20% need that extra oomph, you know, and, and if you don't, if you're not using MRI, you don't even know that, so incredibly impactful stuff. I, I really appreciate you taking time to share um, these findings and and to shed additional light on such an important, important part of what we do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. You know, it is, it is a topic I'm passionate about and I'm excited to get to talk about it. So um, thank you for the chance. 
Certainly. My pleasure. Folks, if you are still listening or still watching uh, this very first in our video series here at Out of the Gray, we certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Please do click that subscribe button and continue on our journey around the globe, picking the brains of the best and brightest and asking them all kinds of questions about their experiences. We've had a blast having you with us today and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.